last Sunday of February. This is it. Next Sunday we're into March, and we've been mentioning how our culture, when it comes to February, there's an emphasis on relationships and on love. And so we're, today's the last week of our relationship series. We've been going through the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on how your Bible puts it out there. And in this book where, you know, we read of uh, a man and a woman who are attracted to each other, they, uh, they get engaged, they have a honeymoon, right, all night long honeymoon, and then they go into marriage and conflict. And now, you know, we're seeing, uh, we're looking into their marriage as it has progressed over the years. Now, today, we want to talk about how to have a love that lasts, you know, we, we want to look at how to live happily ever after, because that's not a fairy tale. It's how God intended, which is why we're looking at, you know, words of antiquity here, words that were written thousands of years ago that God intended to be truth and insight into how love should be. So let's jump in Song of Solomon's chapter 7, verse 1. And he is speaking in the book. It goes back and forth. He speaks, she speaks. Sometimes your friends jump in, eventually turn out to be family members. But uh, it says he speaking says, how beautiful your sandaled feet. Oh, prince's daughter, your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. So he, Solomon, is finding beauty in maybe the not so beautiful things. He, he's appreciating the, uh, we'll call it, the little things. He's admiring something about it that she might not find admirable. So uh, I'm going to stretch this a bit, take a, uh, some liberty, but I do believe what I'm bringing to you is, in, is within the realm of what the Scripture is bringing us, what God wants us to know as far as having good, thriving, loving relationships. He's noticing the little things. He's giving attention to small details. Might seem small to him, but could mean a lot to her, right? Your sandaled feet are beautiful. And what he's doing here is Solomon is connecting to his wife emotionally. It's a form of kind of a form of validation. We'll, we'll, we'll unwrap that a bit. You see, it, it's the establishment of openness and closeness. And that's really what validation can do in your relationship. I'm going to pause now and tell you that most relationships have little validation going on. What it means when we talk validation is that when your partner tells you something about their day, their week, something that's happening within them, you care about what they're sharing. You share their feelings. You engage with them. You stay with them in the moment, right? You're honoring their experience. You join them in their world, and you do your best to see things from their point of view, meaning you're wanting to understand them. Let's look at the video. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And 
I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop were... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't <coughs> try to see things, my. All right. It's really, we played a bunch every two or three years. My favorite video. Uh, so yeah, he, he made his best. He tried to get in there and, and bring validation, huh? Okay, bit of an exaggeration. And by the way, this works male to female and female to male. This God created us as human beings that have deep, to have a deep-seated need for connection. Regardless, again, of age, gender, background, we need to feel, to believe we're being heard, to be understood, to be appreciated. And that comes about in relationships through validation. It's not the only way, but it is a significant contributor to experiencing this in your relationship. So validation, in essence, is the act of helping someone feeling heard and understood and valued. It has the power to calm fears and anxiousness in your relationships, right? It, it, I actually encourage people to do this to get a, ahead of a person in a relationship, in a situation. I tell people, you know, if, if you would validate them, if you would join them, you would really kind of sort of minimize anxiousness, minimize, you know, uncertainty and instability. You'd, you bring this assurance, Validation boosts joy, excitement. It helps to resolve conflict or really arguments on a quicker side. People who are being validated you're, that you're in relation with, they're more likely to listen to you and to hear what you have to say rather than before anybody really talks within seconds, this baby is shut down, everybody's predetermined where they're going, how they're interpreting, and how it's going to go. With validation, we connect connection, we have shared experiences. You, you actually share life's experience together versus being disconnected. So let's try and unwrap this more. Effective validation has two parts. It identifies, you're identifying a specific emotion, as you kind of saw him starting to go towards, although reluctantly. You're, you're identifying an emotion in your spouse, in your significant others, it, it offers now justification for that feeling, that emotion. You're not minimizing it. You're not dismissing it. So let's say, let's run this through quickly. Let's say, you're, <coughs> you know, you're talking with your spouse. It's the end of a long day for her. 
you, you, you have a sense something's not well or not right. I mean, you're tuned in. So you're not going to just shut down, escape. To shut. You're going to like, you're going to hey, say, hey, what's up? You know, you don't look too well. You know, I just can't take this Kate at work. You know, we've, we, you know, I've been working on this event and leading up to it. And every time I make plans, she changes it. She's being inconsiderate. She's not listening to me or anybody else. You know, it's driving me crazy. Now, it might be... You might be tempted to just jump in and just, you know, like, you know, again, try and fix it or, or give even some decent assurance. But validating would look like, wow, really? That's, you know, I guess that would drive me crazy too. Or that would be confusing as well. Or, well, I'd be angry. Or, hey, you know, that is sad. And, and I can see how you'd be discouraged. Notice you've identified, you're, you're connecting to their emotions, you know, like, hey, crazy, right? You're, you're, you know, justifying the emotions. You know, well, I guess I'd feel that way too. Or, or, yeah, that is sad. You see, I've always said the emotion, you cannot <laughs> deny the emotion. It's real. You could talk to and, and work through what's causing that emotion, but the emotion is real. And it's where validation becomes so important to meet somebody and join them there and then to work out from that place. So you hold off the advice in the moment and you're just hearing them and understanding them where they're coming from. You're now respecting them. You're valuing them. And immediately, instantaneously, you're strengthening the connection you have with them. Now, to invalidate them, minimize, dismiss where they're coming from would be like, you know what, you'll be fine. It's a tough day, but these things come and go. Huh? Or, hey, it could be worse. You know what the crap out here did with my job today? Huh? Well, you know what? At least, you know, it's not so-and-so and this didn't happen. Well, you know, look, just come on, just, just perk up, put a smile on your face. It's going to be a good night. We'll watch something on TV. Well, you know what? Look, don't worry. These, these things work their way out. You, 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 you know, you get, these things work their way out. <laughs> you're getting all worked up. And really, I think you're making a big thing out of nothing. And you know what? To some extent, there might be some reality there. But that's not where you want to start with. And by the way, you might be wrong. And by the way, that's not the bigger picture anyway. So a guy named uh, John Gottman, who uh, did a lot of studies and books, research on married couples, uh, he, him and his colleagues took a lab Decorated into like some, sort of some sort of a uh, resort type place, you know, a den. They invited uh, over the over course of time 130 newlywed couples to come and basically hang out for the weekend, eat, chat, watch TV, just come and live. And we want to observe you. <coughs> well, they've noticed a pattern in all the couples that throughout the day, each partner would make these what they call these somewhat seemingly insignificant requests for connection from one another. And, and they said it would go like this. A husband might say, wow, you know, check that car out, like as he's looking at the window or, or watching the TV. And he, he, he wasn't, they realized, just commenting about the car. He was looking for a response from his wife. You know, it was, he, it was a form of trying to connect. And, 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 and that's what we hope for, and this happens. He, he calls these connection bids. I'm, I'm bidding for connection. Now, the wife could respond by saying, wow, you know, that... That's really nice. That's, that is a really sharp car, you know, and what do you like about it? Or, or she could say, actually, it's, it's ugly. Why would you like that? Who would like that car? Or she could be, like, passive, like, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, oh, that's nice, dear, you know, like, you know, that's, that's nice. 
So he, he referred to these positive and engaging responses like, wow, that's a nice call. What do you like about it? As one partner turning towards the other and reciprocating, you know, towards the bitter, right? And, and the negative and passive ones as one turning away. And he's saying, wow, this is happening a lot during the day, in and out. And what he said was this had a profound effect, effect on marriages. Because six years out, they followed these 130 couples, and the ones that did not respond positively but responded to each other more so passively or negatively, their rate of fragmentation was much higher. Uh, these are ones that responded negatively and passively, you know, 72 thirds or more of the time. They had a significantly higher divorce and breakup rate than those who uh, responded positively three quarters of the time. They really were enduring much healthier, better relationships. It's huge validation. It's a great strength in my marriage with Christy. It's just one of those things that I think has always existed in our marriage that Christy validates me. So um, I, I'm an emotional person, man. I mean, I, 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 I am just, I'm an emotional, I just am. I am a ball of emotions. I am. I'm a very emotional person. Um, and I'm cool with that. Uh, and I'm active, just the, the nature of my life and the way it goes, and uh, I'm interacting, you know, there's nothing stagnant about it, and so I, I will find myself in different times in, an, in, an, in different emotional states, right? And, and sometimes I could be like, you know, you know, bit down on myself or struggling with something or, you know, in some sort of a state like that. Very common. Uh, for me to be struggling emotionally to one degree or another. And Chrissy will come over. And she doesn't say something like, you know, well, you know, you're, you're, you're complaining about that or you're hurting about that, but you did the same thing last week. <laughs> and, 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 and if you don't make any changes, you're probably going to do it again. And, you know, this is like, you know, but she never does that. And, she, and there are times I'm sitting there thinking, if I was her, I would say this. Really? Like, I, you know, I'm cognitive of what's going on here. I've, I've been sitting here on the end of the bed saying this before. And, and if I would just fix this part of how I function, it probably would be a great contributor to this, but I haven't. But she just listens, values me, and just, just affirms where I am at that point. Offers her love, her touch. She's phenomenal at this. And... She just joins me where I am. Here's where I am. Wants to understand me and love me. And then we can go from there. This is powerful. This is huge. This is validation. This is unselfishness. This is truly amazing grace in our relationships. So now she's speaking. Song of, Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 11 through 12. And she says... Come, my beloved, talking to her husband. They've been married for a bit now. Let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. Yeah, a whole lot of love. This is where Led Zeppelin got their song from. Right here. I'm pretty sure. You thought it was demonic, huh? Hey, here you go. It actually is a very inappropriate <laughs> song, by the way. 
For those of you who might want to, you might not want to Google that baby, at least not the lyrics anyway. Listen, she, what is she describing? She's describing the establishment of openness and closeness. She's connected to her. He's connected to, to his wife emotionally, right? This is the result of validation. Huh? He, this is, hey, you've validated me. We have this openness and this closeness as a result, and now I want to give you my love. I want to give all of me to you. Intellectually, physically, emotionally, let's be one, huh? as God intended us to do. Now, I want you to hear me out for those who might be thinking, well, this is kind of like uh, this emotional gobbledygook, or this is kind of ambiguous and vague. You know, on the contrary, it's good old-fashioned hard work. This is hard work. It's a lot harder than just how we might practice it. Like, well, yeah, that's a nice car. Well, you know, like, well, look, just, just, hey, just take care of it, fix it. Or, well, you know, you, you've done that before. I mean, you do, you know, you do the same thing on over, you're going to get the same results. This is hard work. And what you're seeing here in the scripture, this married couple, what we're seeing is, hey, you know what? In our marriage, we pursued one another. We were attracted to each other. And then we got married and we drew closer. We were some conflict. We've worked through it. We've been together now and we are working on our relationship. We are working on our relationship. For relationships to work, it takes work. For relationships to work, it takes work. I work at my relationship. How much do I work on our relationship? A lot. Because I'm doing it all out of my love of God. I believe God has brought this person into my life as my wife. I want to love her as he intended me to. I'm doing it from a place of humility, considering her before me. It's work. Listen, you have a craving for connection. You do. If you want to be near each other and connected to each other, you need to work. And you need to work to create time to be together, right? That's what you're seeing now. They're getting away. They're going to the countryside. Things are going to blossom. Things are going to bloom, right? They're, they're, she's envisioning it. She's talking about it. They're, they're setting time aside. They're creating time together. I want you to think about that word create. It means in, in, in the dictionary, Webster's, it says to bring into existence so God created the heavens and the earth. He brought them into existence to produce or bring about by a course of action or behavior. Give your best creativity to each other as husband and wife in relationship. Do that. Consider that. At least do it from time to time, like noticeably, measurably, once a week, a few times a month, right? Versus always giving your best energy to the kids. Versus always giving your best energy to your job. Versus always giving your best energy to things that you might be worried about or consumed about. Or your family or your mom or your dad. Give your best energy, your best creativity to the one that God has placed in your life for you to love and serve. <coughs> Give your love to each other. That's what you're doing when you're creating time and space to connect your creating opportunities to truly give your love to each other. Now, we're moving ahead in their life, in the couple's life. 
chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. And these are really some beautiful verses about the power of love. And I think God here in these verses, he's trying to convince us of the potential that we would have if we focused on love instead of other things. I don't, that doesn't mean other things don't exist. But God's saying for us to focus on love. Because what you focus on grows bigger. It does. That's just truth. Focus on love. Let love be the bigger picture in anything that's going on amongst you. I was on the phone with a couple who were struggling from midnight Friday night or midnight, whatever, Saturday, Friday into Saturday, from midnight to 3.30 in the morning. And my dear wife sat there. I forgot I lost track of where she sat there for two hours listening to me in bed. And then finally I realized, and I got up and I ran downstairs, and then my kids heard me <laughs> for a while. It was an intense conversation. And so... A part of it, and these two people who, they, what was happening, two very intelligent, wonderful people, very accomplished people, they were getting lost on focusing on other things and not their love of each other, which they do love each other, and, but they were focused on the other things, and the other things became so much more paramount than their love. And so everything, the way they were interpreting everything, the way they were hearing each other, was coming at it from the bigger picture, which was the things, not their love for each other. Watch yourself, catch yourself on how you're communicating, how you're talking. Verse 6, now we talk about love. Powerful. She says chapter eight, uh, in chapter 8, verse 6, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. So in ancient days, seals were like made with wood, clay, or stone. You could wear one around your neck, like kind of a cylinder type thing or a ring. And the cylinder or the ring would have maybe a symbol on it or some text, some words on it. And you'd impress that onto like a lump of wax or clay where you'd roll the cylinder. That would basically say, hey, you know what? This would indicate like a, an ownership or it would, it would be a way of maintaining the security or, of, uh, or the sacredness of the belonging of the document, Right? It, it, it would protect the contents of something. And she's saying, set me as a seal upon your heart. And she's saying also, <coughs> set me as a seal upon your arm or arms. So in the, in the original language here in the Hebrew, uh, the ending of those words for heart and arm are, are really masculine. And what she's asking is, she's saying, She's asking to mark her lover as belonging to her. Set me as a seal on your heart, on your arm. So she's not asking to be possessed here. Instead, she's talking to Solomon and, and she's saying, hey, you know, she's not pleading to, for him to take possession of her. Rather, she's asking him to commit himself to her, right? She's asking him, telling him, take my love as a signature mark on your being, that you are committed to me. She's saying, I want to have all of your affections and I want to have all of your protection. It's, it's, it's a statement of absolute devotion, right? Listen, commitment to one another 
and the acceptance of one another. That's what you're seeing here. They are committed to each other, and they are accepting one another. They are committed to accepting one another. Now, when she says, place me like a seal over your heart, what she's saying is, and then like a seal over your arm, I think she's talking about two, two different things in this way. When she says, place me like a seal on your heart, she's saying, I want you to give yourself to me entirely in private. Meaning, I want to be a seal on your heart so that when you are in private, you are committed to me. Whatever's going on in your mind, it's, it's, you're committed to me. So you're not Jack, you're not out there like, you know, walking through the streets and, 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 and staring at other women. And I mean a glance like, I mean like you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not clocking them as we would say in my day. Or, or if it's one o'clock in the morning, you're not up at night, uh, you know, looking at, at naked women, you know, uh, on the computer. Because privately, I am a seal on your heart. <coughs> and you... Think of me. Your thoughts, your desires, your fantasies, they are of me. This is what I'm asking you, my husband. This is what I'm bringing to you. Let me be a seal upon your heart to protect, to guarantee, to secure ownership, your mind. And then let me be a seal on your arms, you know, publicly, that people know when they look at you, the way you conduct yourself, the way you handle yourself, that, wow, you know what? I am yours and you are mine by the way you are in public. The way, if I'm with you, the way you touch me, the way I hold you, the way we, as I kind of went off base last week or whenever it was, the way we affectionately touch each other, just the way you are, they know you belong to me and I belong to you. Huh? I want to be the seal on your heart I want to be a seal on your arm. I want to be owned by you, and I want to own you. Huh? We are together in unity. That's commitment. And this kind of a commitment brings about trust, and it brings about safety. And this is a beautiful thing for one person to feel in a relationship. I, I trust in this relationship. I feel safe being who I am. In this relationship, I am now committed intellectually and emotionally into this relationship. It's a big deal. Now, this phrase commitment, <coughs> I know it gets kicked around a lot. It takes a beating lately, you know. And what I'm thinking is, in a marriage, what are you committing to? And I, and I think this is where the issue might lie. Currently, you might hear people say, you know, that, wow, there's no such thing as commitment anymore, or commitment is what it used to be, or, you know, it's just a lot more complicated than that. I mean, and, and here's my thought. When I think more people are committed than are not, and I think there's a lot higher degree of commitment than we might realize. Here's the issue. The concern is this. What are people committed to? Are you and have you been committed to your desire, your expectation, and your happiness 
I'm, I'm committed to this relationship, a.k.a. my expectation, my happiness, my desire, my fulfillment. That's what I'm committed to, staunchly, without reservation, no matter what. That's what, that's what I vowed to. I vowed to hold, to cherish, till death and we part, to be committed to that. And, and I think that is part of the picture and a bigger part than we might want to realize. And that kind of a commitment is not going to bring about trust or safety. But the obvious instability, uncertainty, uneasiness. Let's be committed to one another's happiness. Let me committed, be committed to her happiness, to her desire, to what fulfills her. Fortunately, I fulfill you, so that was done, taken care of. <coughs> it wasn't supposed to be that funny, baby. Listen, chapter 8, verse 6, she says, For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. So now she, especially, you know, I mean, it's a little peculiar here that she's kind of comparing love and death, but you go back when this was written, you know, a couple of, a few thousand years ago, and it's really kind of startling because death was staunch in ancient times. We knew it was nothing stronger than death, nothing known to humankind that was more powerful, more stronger than death. Death came at will. Death chose whoever it wanted to, young, old, rich, poor. Nothing could stop death. And she's saying that, hey, even death can't destroy my love for you and our love for each other. I do. And you know what? I go a step further. I'll tell you this. I think it's not so much that death isn't stronger than love, or love is just as strong as death. I think love is stronger than death. I do deeply. I mean, obviously, the core and the crux of our faith, this is the message of the gospel. That love endures and we will live forever eternally. We're our heavenly father. Because Jesus Christ gave his life for us. God's son loved us. I will play it out even though in relationships. I love my grandfather, adored him. He passed away in... October, October 1st of 2001. And then I've expressed before, it's mind-boggling painful for me, really. Um, and I love him more today than I did the day he passed on, than I did five years before that. My love for him has increased, and I believe it continually is increasing the way I love him when I think of him. It's almost as if it's purer now. There's no, it, 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 it's hard to explain. Sometimes when I pick up something that, you know, I, in my drawer, I have his watch in my drawer. I have his wallet. I have these little things in him. I pick it up, and I just, I just come, I hold it. And I just like, you know, uh, I feel it, you know. It's like, and I think of all that he was to me, and I thank God for him. And, I, and sometimes it's, like, I don't realize, like two, three minutes pass, and I love him so deeply and, 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 and so well. Mm. Love is strong. It's stronger than death. It, it surpasses time. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more greater than love. And God designed all of this. 
She's using this word here in describing love is, is, is jealousy, unyielding to the grave, she says. In that, in that Hebrew language, when it was written original, those words, that word jealous is, is really a word that we would say is passion. Passion is unyielding to the grave. And, and this, it's not speaking, this passion isn't speaking to a momentary outburst of emotions or sexual you know, excitement. This is the concept of a lasting love, a burning love, an enduring love. Love, such love that binds them, this couple, it's binding them and strengthens them day by day. You know, as they've passed through trials, they've supported one another, right? They, they've surrendered, in a sense, you know, that which they thought they were entitled to or that was there for one another. They've seen the worst in each other, and yet they are now bringing out the best in each other. Do you hear that? They have now seen the worst in each other, and now they are committed to bringing out and are doing and bringing out the best in each other. It's love. They, their words build each other up. Love has the power to do this. Love has the power to make things new again. Love brings things back to life. Huh? Because of love, a soul can be changed. Something deeply spiritual can happen in your life because of love. This is our faith. We're spiritual beings. So she continues to speak of her passion that her love is generating. And she, she compares it in verse 6. She says it burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And, and there that word mighty is really a, a similar word to use at times to describe Yahweh, to describe God. And, and to the Jews, God was awesome. Right? He was this awesome source of power, awesome source of potential, of possibilities. It was all their stories that were passed on year to year to year over the ages. This powerful God with potential and possibilities, awesome God. And yet at the same time, that great love could be a little frightening when you consider that. And maybe you want to pause and consider that, that wow, do you approach love that way? That, that maybe you at times get a glimpse of this is what love really is. It is powerful. It has incredible potentials to change me, to do this. And, and all that is just a little frightening to me. You'd be looking at love through your human lens. Through your, we would say, your flesh and through your nature and not through the lens of a living and loving God, of a covenantal God that has given you promises to provide for you, to bless you through this emotion he called love. Now, verse 7, she says, Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. So what she's saying here is lasting love is permanent and priceless. Mm. So look, I'd say about at least, I'd say easy, half of the people here at Chair City have been divorced. Or in a, some are in the process of divorce. Some are in the process, process of just great pain. But I'm going to say at least one-third, and maybe as high as two-thirds of people, have been divorced. This is our demographic. And I want to pause and say, okay, remember some of the ground rules. 
we're not hearing this message and thinking, oh, this is a great message for my husband, my wife, my significant others. The message is for you. God is speaking to you. And two, the past is the past. We are from this day forward, right? We're moving forward with this. And what that means is don't take bad experiences from the past and use them to undermine God's good and great and true principles and his commands. Because in those principles that God gives us, in his commands, you will find some awesome potential, right? You will find his promises. You will find his providence. He's a covenantal God. So he has these commands and these decrees, and and they come with promises, and they come with providence. You want to live in that. And you want to look at your relationship through that lens, not based on what's happened before in your life. And now say, okay, well, that I know is true because that's been my experience. So that's how I'm going to gauge now the validity, the credibility, the authenticity of these words. Don't do that. These are God's commands, his decrees, and his principles. Embrace them as, as such. I want my marriage to be permanent. I believe in that. <clears throat> I'm going to think this way. I'm going to live this way intentionally. I see love as permanent and as priceless, as something to be cherished and nurtured. I'm going to cherish and nurture. I'm not going to allow anything to quench it, anything ungodly, unnatural, anything insignificant. I will not allow that to quench, meaning to extinguish, extinguish my love. My love will not be swept away. My love for my wife, my love for my husband will not be swept away by the cares and the problems of this world. We will protect our love. No matter what comes against us, we're not going to let the fire die out. Nothing quenches our love. Not the kids, not storms in life, not our job. Nothing comes in between us. Be careful in Your home of establishing relationships where one of you as husband or wife begin to connect to one of your children or in that home and you have a greater alliance or closeness with them than you do your spouse. What's happening is somewhere along the way, pain comes in and we're human beings. We need some safety. We need some care. We need something to lean on. And we go to a, a, a daughter. We go to a son. Our husband goes to a daughter. And, and we're what you call triangulating because a triangle is the most strongest of all shapes and structures. But we're not coming to each other. Don't do that. Not what God intended. God intended for you to now come together in the conflict, in the difficulty, and to know love. And you will know a greater love through that. Nothing comes in between you. Lasting love perseveres because you believe it's permanent. And you behave from that belief. (coughs) So, one way to keep this alive. Okay, here we go. I deeply believe in this, what I'm going to tell you now. I have... Seen it, lived out in many people's lives, especially elderly people, by the way. Uh, And I've seen it in my marriage. Uh, And the one way to keep love alive and burning bright, meaning to preserve it as God intended, is to serve one another. You see, so now this, this is inconsistent just with the mindset of our culture, right? 
I do think, and I'm just putting it out there, that love really has become more about conquest for us. It's become more about personal fulfillment for us. It's certainly become very much, you know, attached to more sexuality, which can be a product of true great love when a man and a woman have deep love for each other and come into, into marriage now, and God has given them this gift of sexuality to enhance and strengthen their marriage and bring them together. Wonderful. But, this, but love has become more about all of this. And, uh, and yet, to different degrees, all this can be temporary. But true love is really meant to be eternal. And what's happening is many people, including many Christians, I think when we think of loves, as I've kind of insinuated or stated before, we are looking at it more from a place of personal gratification. We really are. So you have serving, which is the kind of the centrality of our faith, right? God's son stepped out of heaven to serve us, to give his life, right? The son of God and the servant of God to serve us that we would have eternal life. And then you have self-gratification, us clamoring and climbing and clawing to gratify ourselves. And this is the spiritual battle. Now, to just kind of map this out for you, as we go towards closing, I'm going to give you a story. It's a young woman. A young woman tells her, her observation of her grandparents. And she says, uh, my uh, grandma and grandpa were married for 50 years. She said, but not really. She said, I never really remember them getting along a lot, you know. It almost seemed like they lived separate lives, right? I mean, they didn't really talk to each other a lot about kind of meaningful things. It almost seemed like they lived in the same house together, they, but they always were like in different places and at home together. Even if they were in the same room, they kind of seemed like they were like on two opposite sides of the room. Now, they, they, they believed in God and they went to church all the time. And they said that... <coughs> that they were totally against divorce, and they said that they would never get a divorce because they swore to God that they would never do that. She said, but you know what? They forgot about all the other things they swore to God about. They forgot that they swore to God that they would cherish each other. Come on now. They forgot. They swore to God they would nurture one another. They forgot that they swore to God that they would love each other. That's just good preaching, okay? That's just truth. You swore to God that you would cherish, nurture, love, protect, care for, sacrifice for. And that's beautiful. You were at your best, man. This is what God intended. So she said, you know, she goes, I think they were just going to go that way until they were going to die. And then um, my, uh, my grandmother came down with cancer. And it was kind of getting into her spinal cord. And she had to take medications, and it was messing her up in her sleep. And she was getting back spasms, and she couldn't sleep at night. So she asked my grandfather if he could come over at night and just rub her back until she would fall asleep. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. <clears throat> so he did that. And when she left, I remember hearing her say, thank you. And uh, he said, okay, you're welcome. And uh, the next night, well, a couple nights later, he came back, and he did it again. And she thanked him, and she showed him gratitude. She's in this one on for weeks and, and, and maybe a couple of months, you know, him serving her, showing gratitude. And one night she says, you know, um, I, 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 I kind of get afraid at night sometimes. 
can you stay here with me? He said, yeah, I, I can do that. She said, and you know what? They fell in love with each other. Yeah, they fell in love with each other. Serve each other, man. Serve one another. Be a servant in your relationship. Be a servant in your marriage. Yeah, find the energy. Find the strength. Find it. It's there. You just got to pause and see your spouse as someone that God has placed in your life. Be cherished, nurtured, and loved. You just got to believe that I am protecting love. That love is permanent. I'm going to make sure it stays permanent. I'm going to keep it strong. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to keep the blaze going. Nothing is going to sweep it away. I'm going to serve this person God has brought into my life. So, the way you get in on love, because this might seem a little like beyond what you could think you could do, but the way you get in on love is to experience, first and foremost, love through, the, through salvation that only Jesus Christ and Christ alone can offer. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, his only son, Jesus. Look, we desperately need the love of God, the love that God created for us. Such life is offered to each one of us when we have faith in Jesus Christ. When we believe that he died for our sins, that he was raised from the dead, and in doing all of this, he has made us right with his Father, our Father in heaven. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we are free, we are forgiven. We are in right standing with God, and the confession brings us to freedom. But I want to ask you this. Have you ever prayed a prayer that went something like this? Or thought to yourself, God, I, I just, I don't know if I could do this anymore. I'm, I'm trying to be good enough. I, 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 I'm trying to be good enough. I, I'm trying to be a good enough person. And, and, and you know, and, and it's just simply not changing, right? I change for a little bit, but I don't change for enough. So pause there. And God, I just need you right now. I need to be close with you. I want to truly know that you are with me. I want to just surrender to you right now. Have you ever really thought that way? Because that's what it's all about. It's not that you can be that good. It's not as you're thinking, how now you're going to be so good. You're not. I still go before my kids and ask forgiveness for something that I've done the like, you know, the 700 and something time. And I say, hey, forgive me. And I know because they breathe and bleed, they're thinking, well, this has happened before. And I say, you know what? Forgive me this was wrong to you or to my wife. I acknowledge you and, 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 and I thank God for my faith and I thank God that he has made me aware that there is a better way and a greater way. And I believe because he's making me aware of that and enabling me to come and just show you I care about you, that there is hope and that he can work to me and there is still hope and it can still be better. And I'm even hoping that this time is better than last time. So God be with me. Yeah? And every day and every way we're getting better and better. This is not about what you can or cannot do. Salvation is about what Jesus has done for you and what he will continually do in you. Yes? So the Song of Solomon is a story of love. It teaches us that love is available. Its strength is available to us. It is. Its potential is there for us. 
Its power is there for us. It's priceless. You want to desire this kind of love. You see, because this love, love can do what other things will not be able to do in your life. Love can change your soul continually. Love can bring you to wanting to see things change for the better. Huh? I'm continually loving my dear wife. And I even said last sermon, God help me today learn to love my wife in a way that changes my soul for the better and increases our love and our marriage for one another. Yes? I hope today your soul was changed for the better. I hope today your relationships will be changed for the better like mine has been. To God be the glory.